0: Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 19. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And He said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. But on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, "'My father!' He said, "'Here I am, my son.' And he said, "'Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering?' And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And He bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they, rode, they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that you would ready our hearts by your Holy Spirit to receive it, even as we see in this text some, some difficult things. I pray that most of all, you would shine forth in this text the glory of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was offered as a once-for-all sacrifice for us I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what thing in your life would be the most difficult to part with? What person, what relationship, what thing that you have, thing that you have worked for and strived for to possess? When asked the question, I'm sure there's something that comes to mind. We all have things that if God called us to give them up, to lose them, to end them, it would be very difficult. It would perhaps even press us into a crisis of faith where we would begin to doubt God's goodness and justice and righteousness. Last week in the life of Abraham, we saw that Abraham, though through a covenant making with King Abimelech of the Philistines, had been brought to a time in his life of relative peace and comfort and safety. He was safely dwelling in a land where he was recognized and received by its king. He had accumulated much wealth and property. The strife in his family had been resolved. But the crowning jewel of all of it was that he finally had the son of promise by his beloved wife, that son being Isaac, God had been faithful to bring all of his promises to Abraham to pass, and now in his later years, Abraham would seem to have little to do but to reflect on the goodness and provision of God in his life. But in today's text, we get a wrench in Abraham's life and plans. Isaac was the highest and greatest expression of God's promises and provision to Abraham. It was clear that the Abrahamic covenant wasn't going to be fulfilled fully and finally during the time of Abraham's life, with all the nations being blessed and salvation coming to the world. Descendants and the covenantal lineage were going to be a key component of the promises being brought to pass. So what would be the most disruptive and doubt-inducing loss that could cause Abraham, whose faith had been formed and tested and refined by God's working in his life, to question everything, probably the loss of Isaac, that promised son. And yet that seems to be exactly what God calls Abraham to do in this passage. So we will look at this ultimate test of Abraham's faith this morning in four points. First, there is a summoning in verses one and two. God appears to Abraham and calls him to do something that seems unthinkable. And second, a service. In verses 3 through 10, Abraham responds to this most difficult of commands with obedience. Third, a substitute in verses 11 through 14. The test being passed, God offers an alternative sacrifice. And fourth and finally, a swearing in verses 15 through 19. Having passed the test, Abraham receives still more of the covenant blessings from God receives confirmation and ratification of the blessings already made. So again, we have a summoning, service, substitute, and swearing. First, we look at a summoning in verses 1 and 2. So God appears to Abraham once again. He had last spoken to Abraham to confirm that he should put away Hagar and Ishmael in the last chapter. We don't know exactly how much time has passed since. Isaac is still a boy, but he is getting older. Abraham and Sarah don't have any more children. So from what we have seen thus far, it could not be clearer that Isaac is the son that is going to carry on the promises that God has made. And this is what makes what God commands Abraham to do next all the more jarring and perplexing. God appears to him and tells him to take Isaac to Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. This is jarring for many reasons. As I've just said, Isaac was supposed to be the fulfillment of the covenant promises. Every sign and every word from the Lord to this point had been pointing in that direction. But second, it was not only that Isaac was going to die, it seemed, but how. He would be slain by Abraham's own hand. And child sacrifice, though it was practiced rather frequently and commonly by the pagan religions of the ancient world, it was not something practiced by the worshippers of Yahweh. It was the murder of children. It was against the just character of God. How could God ask such a thing? And this raises a question that one must wrestle with when dealing with this passage. When Abraham receives the command to sacrifice Isaac, does he believe that he will actually do it, that he will actually kill his son? That is a question we will have to address as we go along. So how does Abraham respond to this seemingly bizarre command from God? How would you respond if you were in that situation? Suppose you had lived your whole life thinking that God had ordered your life and purposed it in one direction, only for him to tell you that not only are you wrong about all of that, but that you must even be an instrument of violence in his hands to tear down the world that you thought that he had built for you. How would you take that? Would you resist? Would you question? Would you hesitate? God, the searcher of hearts, knows what a severe test this would be for Abraham. He even acknowledges this in verse 2. He sort of twists the knife figuratively in Abraham when he makes the command. He points out that Isaac is Abraham's only son and the son whom he loves. Remember that Ishmael, who Abraham had once thought would be the son to fulfill the promises, though he was still alive somewhere in the world, For all intents and purposes, he was no longer Abraham's son. He had been put away. He had been disowned. the very least, he no longer lived among him. So Abraham is being asked to put his own beloved son, the son who was supposed to be the son of promise, to the sword. How does Abraham respond? Well, this brings us to our second point. After the summoning, we come to the service in verses 3 through 10. Given the nature of what has been asked of Abraham and what it would mean, it wouldn't be that surprising or seem that unreasonable if Abraham had protested or if he had tarried, if he had delayed in fulfilling what God said. The surprising part is that he doesn't. He gets right down to it. We see that he rises early in the next morning after he receives the order, takes a couple of servants, loads up the donkey, and on their way they go. There seems to be no delay, no hesitation, despite the difficulty of what has been commanded. Abraham even cuts the wood for the sacrifice, as he would have done often before, when he sacrificed lambs and bulls and goats, as he had faithfully practiced the worship of God throughout his life. But this time was going to be different from the others. We see that Abraham and Isaac and their servants, they make this journey, and on the third day, they arrive where they were supposed to go, a mountain in the land of Moriah. Now, this Mount Moriah only appears by name one other time in the Bible, Second Chronicles 3.1, and there we find out that it is the site where the temple was built in Jerusalem under the supervision of King Solomon. There's clearly some foreshadowing, some symbolism in play. Abraham is called to what will go down in history as the most holy of places and the place of worship and sacrifice to answer God's greatest test of his faith. When they are near the place, Abraham orders his servants to stay back with the donkey. He takes Isaac forward to the place where the sacrifice is to be offered. Now, it seems that up to this point, Isaac is ignorant as to what is going on. It is likely that Abraham hasn't told anyone else what God has told him to do. And why would he? Word gets around that Abraham is about to engage in an act of child sacrifice. One might intervene to stop him. And Abraham knows that if God has commanded it, his power and authority are absolute, and so it must be done. This even as God knew and acknowledged how difficult of a thing this would be for Abraham to do. And this testing of Abraham's faith shows the depth to which God has grown Abraham's faith. He will obey God even when he does not understand. He will obey even if he doesn't know why things must be the way that they are. When we face trials and difficulties in our life, we are so often inclined to doubt Question to look at our circumstances and question if God is really there or if he really cares. But Abraham had no room for such doubt, even if it meant the most heartbreaking of realities staring him in the face. And the heartbreak could have only been intensified as Isaac seemed to get wise to what was going on. In verse 6, we see that Isaac is there with Abraham and they have everything they need. To offer a sacrifice to God, something Isaac surely would have known by this point in his life. They have wood, they have fire, they have a knife. But in verse 7, Isaac being the perceptive lad that he is, he notices the one key element of the sacrifice was missing. The sacrifice itself, the lamb, the animal that was to be slain. And he points this out to his father. And it is here that we start to see what is going on in Abraham's mind. In verse 8, Abraham says, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Now Abraham is probably still wrestling with why things must be the way they are, why he must take his son and slay him. But despite this, Abraham is trusting in God's provision. He doesn't know for sure how this episode is going to play out at all likely seems strange and wrong, but he is going to do it and he is going to trust in the Lord. And we receive, through an inspired author in the New Testament, more insight into what Abraham was thinking. You can hold your place in Genesis and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll look at verses 17 and 19 there briefly. It says there, By faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham was trusting in the Lord's provision. He was so trusting in the Lord's provision Even when it seemed like all was about to be lost, he trusted that even if God brought him to carry out this act to put Isaac to death, it would only be to raise Isaac from the dead because God had made his promises concerning Isaac clear and he would bring them to pass no matter what, even if through and beyond death. So you can turn back over to Genesis. In verse 9, they come to the place where the sacrifice was to be made. We see that Abraham does everything that was commanded. He makes an altar, places the wood, and even ties up Isaac and places him on the altar. If there's any doubt left, it's clear now that Abraham intends to follow through. He even takes the knife. He begins to reach to do the deed of killing his only beloved son. How far will Abraham's faith take him? As far as it must. As far as God wills, as far as God commands. But then there is an interruption. This brings us to our third point. After the summoning and the service, we come to a substitute in verses 11 through 14. In verse 11, we see that the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven. Now, we've talked about this angel of the Lord before. He's not just an angel. In Genesis 16, when he appeared in the wilderness to Hagar, the angel attributed things to himself that only God could do, the giving of descendants. And Hagar recognized the angel as the God who sees. This angel of the Lord is the Lord. In fact, likely the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God manifested to Abraham in intervening in this sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham, telling him not to kill Isaac. Instead, he announces that the test has been passed. He declares, now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Note again, the angel speaking of, you have not withheld your son from me as one who is God. But that is not all. Abraham looks in verse 13 and sees that there is a ram caught in the bushes by its horns. And so he takes it and offers it as the sacrifice instead. So what are we to make of all of this? Well, we see here in this binding of Isaac, a powerful picture of the gospel. Isaac was as good as dead. We read in the Hebrews 11 passage that Abraham received Isaac from the dead, figuratively. He didn't actually die and be raised, though Abraham trusted that even that would happen if necessary. But in a certain sense, Isaac was as one dead, one condemned to die. But what happened? God intervened. God provided a substitute, another who would die in Isaac's place. And it becomes clear in this passage that what we see is not only a test of Abraham's faith, but one of the most powerful types, one of the most powerful pictures of the work of Christ in the Old Testament. For just as Isaac stood condemned to die, we are all condemned to die. We are all worthy of death because of our sin. Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned against God and plunge the whole human race into sin and death with them. And so we are all conceived and born in sin and add to that by our own transgressions. And we deserve for this judgment and condemnation and death. And left in this state, we will die in our sins and face the fires of hell. But God intervenes. God offers a substitute. I mentioned that the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, presides over the proceedings at Mount Moriah. The Son of God would later in time enter into the creation. He would take on human flesh. He would take on the form of a humble servant. And he himself will keep the law perfectly as no one before him had ever done. And he would suffer and die to make the perfect atoning sacrifice necessary to pay the penalty for sin. Just as a ram was provided and offered in place of Isaac that day, Jesus Christ was provided and offered in our place so that by faith in him we might not taste death and judgment and condemnation that our sins demand. And just as Abraham believed God powerful to raise Isaac, if in fact Isaac died, God was powerful to raise Christ from the dead on the third day. Just as Abraham figuratively received his son back through death, the Son of God was received back into glory, having overcome and conquered and defeated death so that those united to him by faith might be received through death. That is the gospel shown forth even here in Genesis, even here from the foundations of the world. Shown forth in this episode on Mount Moriah where the temple would one day stand. God is showing forth Christ even to his old covenant people. And Abraham responds to this provision of God by naming the place the Lord will provide Yahweh-Jireh or Jehovah-Jireh. Moses writing here remarks that as it is said to his day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. It is the mountain of the Lord where the Lord will provide his presence to his people in the temple. And one day even the Lord Jesus Christ will come to that mountain and teach and declare and show forth his glory. Though it is on another mountain outside the city where he will make his once for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his people. Though we might face the greatest of temptations, the greatest of sorrows, the greatest of difficulties, he is working all things for our good and for his glory. And this brings us to our final point. After the summoning and the service and the substitute, we come to the swearing in verses 15 through 19. After this sacrifice is completed, the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham again and acknowledges that Abraham has passed the test of faith. And he swears an oath to Abraham. Remember our recent discussion of oaths. This is a solemn act. And being sworn by the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord, it cannot be falsified and it cannot be broken. The Lord swears by himself, as he himself is and as he lives, this will be brought to pass. The Lord acknowledged that Abraham has done what was required. His faith has been proven true. He has not even withheld his son from God. God did not actually intend for Isaac to be sacrificed, and he intervened so that it would not be so. But the purpose of the test was to prove that Abraham was completely and unquestionably devoted to the Lord, such that even if it meant losing his son and even if it meant striking the blow himself, if that was what God required of him, so it would be. Because Abraham's faith is true, God promises to bless him. He says, blessing, I will bless you. This repetition, it's a grammatical way of communicating the certainty with which these things would happen. Absolutely, without doubt, without fail, the Lord will bless Abraham. He restates some of the covenant promises he has made before. He will multiply Abraham's descendants as the stars of heaven or the sands on the seashore. More than can be counted. Abraham's children will be the people of God throughout all peoples and all ages and they will possess the gate of their enemies. Some even among God's enemies will be brought in, though those who persist as enemies will ultimately be destroyed. And we get here a repetition of the promise of all promises that Abraham had received. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. By that descendant of Abraham, life and hope and salvation will come to everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike, all of God's people on the face of the earth. But here there is an addition. Because you have obeyed my voice. So does this mean that God is rewarding Abraham for meritorious works? Abraham somehow earned this blessing and favor from God? No, I've said it before. i us say it again. This is not a covenant of works. God previously promised to give Abraham these blessings by grace. But those who by grace receive faith in Christ, they receive the whole Christ. They receive justification. They receive forgiveness of sins. They receive the hope of glorification, of everlasting life, all the blessings of the covenant. But in that they also receive sanctification They are by the power of the Holy Spirit, more and more conformed into the image of Christ. And so their faith is strengthened. More and more they heed the word of the Lord, even in the hard things. This call to Abraham to offer Isaac was a hard thing, but God had spoken it. And so whatever his doubts and feelings were telling him, Abraham let the word prevail in his life. But he only could do this because God had made him able to do this. God had strengthened Abraham's faith. God had worked this faith in him so that it might stand in the hour of trial. Again, not because of any inherent goodness or virtue in Abraham. We just saw in the last chapter how Abraham once again lapsed into sin, even this late in his life. No. God works this faith in Abraham to show forth his own power, the power of God and what he has done in bringing Abraham thus far. So it can be tempting to look at this text and say, well, look at Abraham. He had faith, have faith like Abraham had faith. Now, to a certain extent, it's true. When God speaks, we should obey even in the hard things. But most of all, what is shown forth in this text is God's ability and power and faithfulness to mold his saints into people who receive and heed and follow his word by faith. Faith is a gift of God given and strengthened by his hand. And God is glorified and we are blessed all the more through the response of faith that God works in us. So the more fundamental question of this passage is, do you have this faith? Do you belong to Christ and so share in his covenant blessings and benefits? Do you receive and rest on this gospel that the very son of God was given for your sins, that he has made perfect atonement to fully and finally reconcile you to God? call of the gospel today is to repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins and for everlasting life. And if you belong to Christ, the call is to live in the word, to strengthen your faith by the use of God's appointed means and heed his word even when it's difficult, but also trusting that God who began this work in you is faithful to complete it. That is the response of faith. So may we all respond to the word in faith today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you that in it Christ is shown forth, even in types and shadows, even to Abraham so many centuries, so many millennia ago. Yet we see in this picture what you have done for us, offering your son, as a once-for-all sacrifice, not holding him back so that we, your people, might have life and might have blessing. I pray that all here gathered would believe this gospel truth and that those who do belong to you would be salt and light and that this gospel may go forth into a lost and dying world that so needs to hear it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamelopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.